0: welcome to the get real about safety podcast in our podcast we discuss the new view of safety what works and what doesn't work to break down old paradigms and help you improve safety performance in your organization hi i'm mike and i'm pam and we appreciate you listening please share and subscribe and tell others about this podcast You can find us on most podcast platforms and also on YouTube. A piece of paper never saved anyone. I can't remember a single time that following an incident The result of that has not been a new policy, a new procedure, or an additional piece of PPE. That does not mean that there are not reasons to institute changes following an incident. It's only that we often default to paper or PPE when there are deeper system issues behind an event. This also reminds me of a discussion following a worker injury. A member of the project team stated, there can't be a rule for every situation that may occur. The CEO jokingly replied, then he should talk to the safety department because they've got over 700 pages of rules in the safety manual. The perception was that they were drowning in paper, but they still had injuries occurring. Although vibrant processes and procedures are important, that team member had a valid point. We cannot rely solely on a piece of paper to keep us safe. There will be situations in which we have unusual sets of circumstances, creating a moment in time where we do not have a rule to keep us safe. If our systems are healthy and functioning, this is where planning and risk identification and assessment come into play. Our workers and supervisors should know how to do hazard analysis and risk assessment, and that process should be ingrained in what we do every day. We tend to teach people rules, not how to assess risk. Safety is not black and white. It is full of gray. What do we want workers to do when they are in the gray zone? Most often, they will decide on an action that is based on what they think their supervisor is most concerned with. And this will usually devolve to get her done. Todd Conklin addressed this in a podcast recently. More rules just means you have more rules. More rules will not make you more safe. More often, a new policy or procedure is imposed in reaction to an event in a knee-jerk fashion without analytical thought or, importantly, employee input. Emotions run high after an event, and there is an overwhelming desire to do something. Here is a quote from a perception survey we recently did, a comment from an employee. Quit adding new rules for safety after accidents when the previous rules were already in place. Seems like a new safety rule is added just to make a rule. Unfortunately, doing something in the heat of the moment means we often do something wrong. This is especially true when the policy or procedure we put into place adds complexity. Every time we make processes more complicated or complex, we increase the chance for human error. Sometimes safety personnel perceive that the more pages, words, or detail, the more management will be impressed with their solution to the problem. But the problem will occur again if we have not dealt with the underlying system issues and if our efforts are worker-focused rather than system-focused. Focus not on who failed, but what failed. It is far easier to come up with a new procedure than to address the system issues that management often does not want to talk about before the event. In addressing system issues, you're pointing out to management their own failures. So safety often feels under tremendous pressure to show value, and when an event occurs, safety staff may feel that they personally have failed. If management's response to the failure is to blame the safety department, then the more likely it is that we try to come up with some really snazzy piece of paper to redeem ourselves. Management's response to failure is critical. I remember interviewing a safety manager at at an industrial plant as part of a culture assessment, and I asked him, how does management respond when an event occurred? He said, well, I can expect a phone call from the boss and the first thing he will ask is, what happened, Larry? I asked him if management made the same call to the plant manager and he said, nope, just the safety department. You can bet Larry was busy creating large piles of paper after any incident. But safety staff does not own responsibility for safety. Management owns that responsibility. From frontline supervisors to senior management, they must own safety most safety problems are management or leadership problems and only management can deal with those issues the extreme end of management reaction to an event is the firing of safety staff i've seen that happen way too often during my career i remember a large pharmaceutical construction project where every time management met to review the project accident statistics and the numbers were not what the team thought they should be they fired the safety director. (laughs) We went through five safety directors in 18 months. None of them were ineffective, non-performing, or just generally bad people, but they lost their jobs over something they had absolutely no control over. No wonder that safety immediately defaults to providing some shiny new object that they can deliver to management to show their worth. What we often do not ask is, why did we not have a procedure in place before the accident? In many cases, it is because management is resistant to new policies or procedures, and they are only receptive to them after the accident. Did we know that we had issues with fall protection or ladders or lockout tagout before the event? If not, our system of identifying hazards and risk is defective. effective. If we did know, but management was resistant to dealing with the hazards of the issues, again, this is a system problem. What is more likely is that we did have a process or a procedure, but it was not being followed. That, again, is a system issue. So we take a one-page procedure that is not being followed, and we turn it into a six-page procedure, making it even more likely that it will not be followed. Now we have an unworkable procedure that workers and supervisors choose to ignore, creating even more disrespect for safety in general. Lockout, tag out, or lotto is a top contender for this type of scenario. Lotto is a strong potential serious injury or fatality, or as we call it, a SIF. Lotto procedures are often written by safety people without input from those who do the work. This results in workers ignoring the written procedure in favor of a more workable and easier procedure that has less safeguards built into the process. Workers are rewarded for not following the procedure by accomplishing their task quicker and easier. Positive reinforcement is a very strong motivator. When there is no negative consequence for not following the official procedure, and in fact, there is a positive consequence, meaning that it is easier and quicker, the new procedure becomes quickly ingrained and in fact is taught in an informal way to new workers. If we are only measuring performance through recordable incidents, and the use of a shorter procedure does not result in an incident over long periods of time, we think we're in good shape. We think we're okay. When in reality, we have created the perfect scenario for a fatality waiting to happen. And eventually it does. Then and only then do we try to snap back into a safety mindset by imposing a longer, more difficult, and once again, unworkable procedure, rinse and repeat. We never actually address the system issues that led to the accident. When we have SIF exposures like Lotto, we must be regularly evaluating the quality of the process with input by workers and line supervisors. We must have an environment where workers feel free to tell us that our procedure is garbage and that it doesn't work. We must have management clearly communicating to supervisors that following safe procedures is more important than meeting production deadlines. We must have management willing to hold supervisors accountable for their safety performance. We must, as safety professionals, focus our time and efforts on effectively auditing those procedures and processes to determine their effectiveness and their integrity. What is also critical is that we have a culture of learning and healthy processes for analyzing events when they do happen. That process should be called upon frequently to analyze smaller events and opportunities for improvement so that we are not dragging it out of the file cabinet after a significant event. Our managers, our supervisors, and our workers should be trained in the event analysis process, and it should be done in a fear-free environment rather than a hunt for the guilty. That learning process must occur in the sweet spot for learning, which is not immediately after the event. There's way too much emotion and too much pressure to fix right after the event. That pressure to fix will give way to that knee-jerk response. This is also referred to as the risk regulation reflux that we see embedded into our society that requires we impose a new law or a regulation every time a high-profile event occurs. Another question is who is going to be responsible for the added paperwork? Supervisors are overburdened as it is. We know that due to paperwork, emails, etc., supervisors are not getting out in the workplace. Every time we add more paper, we take away time in the field. Same with safety staff. Do we want our folks filling out forms or spending time in the field developing relationships with workers, getting a first-hand view of field realities, and helping find solutions to the inevitable problems that come up? The bottom line is that no piece of paper will save a life, especially when that paper is in reaction to an event in the heat of the moment. Policies and procedures where they do need to be created or revised need to be formulated with worker input and without the emotion immediately following incidents. We need to use rational, creative group analysis and brainstorming to come up with better systems, better defenses against the inevitable human error, and to understand our existing system weaknesses. Moving to a learning culture rather than a blame culture will not only save lives, It'll make safety a rewarding job and safety a valued part of the team. Moving to a learning culture rather than a blame culture will not only save lives, it will make safety a rewarding job and safety folks a valued part of the team.